Kieran. I'm Hannah. This is Kitchen Table Cult. Where two quiverful escapees talk about our experiences in the cultish underbelly of the religious right. Hey, Hannah. Hey, Kieran. How are you? I'm pretty good. It's a gorgeous day here. It's like nice. peak fall. That sounds How are lovely. You? I am not sick right now, so That's I'm happy. Good. You're living in a campaign office, I see. I am living in a campaign office right now. Uh, the California Dems and the Measure AA campaign and other organizers are out here phone banking, doing get out the vote stuff, so there might be some background noise from that. Yeah, it's really important. All of this closing in, it's, I can't believe, like, we're going to actually like have some resolution on all these things that we've been obsessing over for the last two years <laughs> in two yeah. days. Yeah. Three days. Three days. Yeah. Hopefully. I'm like still nervous about it. I'm still I'm still traumatized from twenty sixteen. Yeah. So um let's introduce our guests and let's talk about that. Um this week we have with us our friend Jeremiah Warren. Hello. Jeremiah, why the hell are you on this podcast today? <laughs> because I was homeschooled. I grew up in a lot of very politically active conservative homeschool circles. Um, I did not attend as a student, but I was at, now I'm blanking on the name. Uh, Patriot, Patriot Academy. Academy. <laughs> I attended the Patriot Academies. I... Congratulations on forgetting your traumatic past. <laughs> I have like I have so many friends that are part of like heavily involved with speech and debate. So I am very familiar with the evangelical conservative political world as it relates to the youth of America. And uh, I'm assuming you got out. What are you I doing did now? get out. I I am definitely uh, definitely not of that world anymore. All right, blue wave hitting the homeschool nation. I mean, I would be called a, a very very liberal person oh yeah same yeah my childhood self would be like very intrigued and terrified yeah Probably liberal communist <laughs> my childhood self would be like that makes sense but also you're evil so <laughs> the dark timeline has yeah. overtaken us <laughs> yeah so we are talking today about um election day and the like what is probably happening in the fundamentalist Christian politically active world of the religious right right now, um, how they're probably seeing things and taking action, and um, what you should know going into Tuesday. Where do we want to start? Because that's a whole whole thing. Yeah, let's let's start with talking about Election Day 2016 and like what that meant for each of us when Donald Trump got elected and Mike Pence was vice president. I know we've covered this before, um, so sorry if we're belaboring this, but I think it's important. It helps give context. Where were you? were not even in the country, Hannah. Yeah, I was in I was in Kyrgyzstan um, serving in the Peace Corps, which meant I was 12 hours ahead of you guys. So I had like um, a morning meeting with my counterpart to like plan lessons for school. This is the, the local teacher I was, like, helping support with her English language lessons um, for secondary school students. And she was, like, had, like, the day before told me that she had just applied for the v the green card lottery with her husband. 
And she was really excited about the election. And so she was like, what, what's the news? I haven't been online. And we're like sitting there, like writing our lesson plan, talking about this. And I come back home and I start getting on Twitter and I've got like an hour before class. And like the last results are coming in and it's really clear that Trump has won. And there's probably like another state or two left, but it's like, it's a done deal. And I texted her and I was just like, I feel sick now. I can't come to class. <laughs> um, because I I knew that this meant that I could I was no longer going to be able to pretend like everything from my childhood was just like a time capsule or like a, a closed off little world that didn't matter. Now it was going to be relevant because Mike Pence is basically like what we had been like working for yep. for my entire life and like dreaming of. And so everything about how I grew up was suddenly politically relevant. Where were you, Jeremiah? So I was in Nashville, and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think back to that day. I remember waking up and going through Twitter, and I think that's how I found out that he had won. But I remember, like, scrolling back and just kind of seeing, like, the progression of people being hopeful and then becoming less hopeful because they were like, it doesn't look like, it, it looks like Trump is going to win. I can't really remember exactly what I was thinking, but I feel like that was a day where I was like, okay, well, this is this couldn't possibly be what... The, what a majority of America feels like. I think. I think the other thing was also it probably was like a mark in completely divorcing me from any kind of lingering thoughts of is there anything from my past that like, like that that whole um, like this is the way you should live your life like all of the stuff that's instilled in us growing up and realizing that you know every everyone in your life that told you, like, this is how you should live your life, this, these are things about God, is, is like, all of those people have just elected someone that is the antithesis of that. Mm-hmm. And and now it's like, well, like, that that just completely removed me of any lingering worries or fears that there was something that I was doing something wrong in my life. And I'm like, there's, there, you can't tell me that this is, like, quote-unquote, God's candidate and this is who God wants. <laughs> and also have told me the stuff you raised, like, when you raised me. Yeah. Yeah, it's like there's nothing, there's literally nothing left for us in the church now that you yeah. guys have elected yep. a racist, white supremacist, yeah. like, assaulter sl- in chief. Yeah. yeah. I was a poll worker on election day. Uh, I I was in a precinct in San Francisco in Oakland, Oakland. Uh, Oakland. Uh-huh. Yeah, so I was I was at like this church uh, in like Adams Point somewhere. I got there in the afternoon. I was on call, and around like seven, people started coming in, and they looked visibly shook. Mm. Like they were coming in, and they were already horrified, and they would like try to tell me what was happening, and I was like, I have to close. Don't tell me what's going on. And so for two hours, I just like had people vote and I didn't let them tell us what was happening because we were all already nervous. Like the polls closed at like eight. Uh, then we we cleaned up. And, and at that point, like the last person to vote was like, uh, he's winning. And I was like, well, we haven't even got our votes in yet. And California is pretty big. So like, mm. you know, there's still there's still hope. And I held on to that while we packed up and I tried not to think about it too much. And then we got home or well, we didn't get home, but we packed up and I called a lift uh, over and I was talking with someone 
who was also also helping pack up and was going to bring the ballots over to the courthouse. And he was like, well, I mean, if Trump gets elected, it won't be so bad. Like, it probably won't impact me. And I'm like, my dude, you're a cishet man. Like, <laughs> like I am, I am queer, trans, and olive. This directly impacts me if he is elected. So I got, I got in the lift and, uh, there was he, the lift driver was playing like soothing peaceful music and i was like i appreciate you so much right now and i got <laughs> home uh and i and i came in and all the lights were off and i just heard like my partner crying on the couch and it was at that point i was like oh we are fucked and i had sort of been scrolling through twitter on the ride and i saw like the numbers and stuff and we just kind of like watched the rest of it in horror as it came in live and just cried ourselves to sleep and at that point that was also when i realized that everything that i hoped to leave behind like wasn't it wasn't left behind and suddenly it mattered and suddenly i had all of this insight that i needed to tell people because suddenly everything that i had worked for as a child was coming to fruition more so than like when the tea party came into power did you feel did you feel like you were complicit at all because yeah I did. I did feel complicit and I felt guilty and I, and I felt angry. I felt really angry that like it hadn't, it hadn't stopped when I left, which like, it makes sense because it was bigger than me. I wasn't like a crucial part of it, but I was still like, I did the work. I left a bunch of my friends did the work and left. And we all decided that like, that is bad, but more, more people stayed and more people kept doing the thing that we were trained to do and suddenly it mattered and now I am in a position where I'm like I know where this is going and I know the playbook and here let me tell you and that's why we're here right yeah no I think that's that's a large part of the reason we started this podcast is like both of us feel like we know the other side and we know how serious they are so we have to we have to share what knowledge we've got yeah which is why, like, I immediately started writing that post for Autostraddle, like, yeah. the next day. And I just took, like, a month and a half and worked on writing it. Um, that's what what I was going to say was I had a, a similar conversation with a, a, a white dude who I had been good friends with for a while. Um, he grew up in the same community as I did. Um, he wasn't quiverful, but he was fundamentalist Christian, had gone to Liberty University um, and then he ha- got married and got divorced in a similar way that I did. So we had really like bonded on a whole lot of like, we're super young and newly divorced and like our entire <laughs> like fundamentalist community is rejecting us because suddenly we're the bad guy. Um, his wife like moved out in the middle of the night to like date someone else. Like it was like really weird. Um, he was one of those rare, rare, rare fundamentalist dudes who wasn't abusive in his marriage. <laughs> um, <laughs> but so I thought he understood and we'd been like commiserating like all the way through the elections, like lead up. And then and then he said something about like, yeah, like it's really like not going to be that big of a deal. You just like wait four years. They'll be mm-hmm. fine. And I was just like, oh, no, hell no. <laughs> I'm like. I just like was like I want to like block you on everything you don't understand. I feel I felt so betrayed because I was like we've been talking about this stuff for so long, um, and you are a cis-het white dude. You're not going to be affected by this. Like this is not going to hurt you. Um, but I thought you cared about other people, mm-hmm. and um, I think 
I think he did, but I think he was just like, su- I think he does, but I think his privilege was blinding him in that moment and he was getting stressed out by all the fervor and like wasn't prepared to deal with that because, you know, tox- toxic masculinity teaches you to be like freaked out by emotion. And everybody who had been suffering under the racism and abuses of power in generations past was freaking out online being like, this is going to get worse. Yeah, that was election day 2016, and now we're here, and we're at midterms, and everyone is working really hard. And, and it is getting worse. Stuff. It is. It, oh my god! There are shootings worse. like multiple times a day, every day, because people are racist. We found more fucking bombs. Oh my god! Like I've- they were intercepted again. There's so much. Okay, so what are you guys thinking as you you watch these these headlines go past? What are you seeing? What are you looking at? What what are your reactions? You were talking about bombs. I just remembered the Austin bomber is in my was in my home like in my friends' homeschool circles. Oh yeah. <sighs> yep. Oh yeah. We we Karen and I Karen and I track um the information for homeschooling's invisible children database in terms of like um abuses and deaths in the homeschool community and we were tracking that too because yeah, yeah the austin bomber is like a quintessential fundamentalist christian boy like yep. like literally i was in a facebook thread conversation with his father a week before they found out who the bomber was oh my god yeah Shit. so break that down what's your interpretation there of like of of you know what what about that kind of community it's it's something makes these guys do these things. It, I I don't I'm, I don't I don't know how to necessarily put all this into words, but I think back at nine eleven and like what happened on nine eleven and everyone's reaction of you know oh like Muslims and bombing and extremism. It's it's almost like that Christian world is now. It's like they're doing the exact same thing as the thing that they the replicate. They're replicating the methods. Yeah, it's like yeah. our homeschool Christian service have literally birthed someone that has gone around bombing innocent people. Yeah, and I don't know. Like I don't know how to. Like I'm still. I'm trying to figure out how to put that into like, like a struck like a, a thesis like idea. But it's like it's so wild to me. You know, like me vividly remembering like nine eleven. Now it's like we have our own Paris. Well, I mean, this is this is what happens when you get fundamentalism that um, thrives on othering people that you're afraid Mm -hmm. of. You dehumanize them. You systemically dehumanize them so that you can incite violence against them and feel justified doing it. Yeah, no, it's this happens every single time you get like fundamentalist extremism, and we're just seeing a new version of it here in the states um, with all of these, basically like these white boys who feel disenfranchised because they're losing a tiny fraction of their massive privilege. Yeah. um, As America, and they're not even losing it; it's just other people want to share it. Exactly. Yeah. Like, (laughs) and so it's not a loss. But but because our society has been built on this structure that is essentially like imperialist white capitalist patriarchy which is designed to teach you that in order to thrive you have to assume that anyone who doesn't look like you or fuck like you is not a real person and then you get scared of them getting any kind of power and immediately violence is the answer 
because you happen to have an AK-47 in your closet. They, they come up with these things of like, they feel like why they're being discriminated, they are being hurt or whatever. It's like you, it's like you have these white people, it's like there's nothing, like they're taking out their anger on, you have everything going for you. Like you have so many advantages, you have so many privileges and you feel this desire to actually hurt people even further. Okay, so let's let's um, keep going. We wanted to talk a little bit about key races that we're watching um, that are important. I, this is stuff that's been covered better by um, more professional political pundits. But um, in terms of like what we're seeing with each of these races, um, we'd like to like give a little bit of a perspective in terms of like because of our background in these um, politically active fundamentalist groups what the other side is up to right now and how this race is being viewed um from that world's perspective i mean i've been watching sort of vaguely uh stacy abrams because uh she's rad um and i kind of did a little bit of looking into kemp who's her opponent and he's terrible and well can you set this up for us because <laughs> yeah, georgia's yeah. where team pact is and yes like, yeah, George is where Team Pact was founded. Uh, mm-hmm. Tim Eccles is the insurance policy commissioner or something right now. Uh, but he founded Team Pact. He brought Team Pact um, to actually Kemp's office earlier this year when they were doing their uh, statewide convention thing. Now, what does that mean when they do that? It means that, like, it's a... It's a person who is in line with Team Pack's values. So when they when they take you to someone's office and introduce you to them as like uh, a legislator that they support or whatever, it means that they're in line with Team Pack's values. Uh, oftentimes, it results in student action teams going out and campaigning for them. How big are those teams? It depends. So when I did it in two thousand six, uh, I went with a group. Um, and we, we campaigned for Roy Moore in Alabama, and there were about 50 of us. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure it's a student or child labor violations. <laughs> Probably. Because it's it's like 10-plus hour days, and it's all high schoolers, all homeschoolers, going around, knocking on doors, making phone calls for free. No one's getting paid for it. We actually had to pay to go. Wait, how, why did you have to pay to go? Because we had to pay for, like, the gas to get there. Team Pack doesn't pay for that stuff. Um, no, you, like, sort of collectively pool your money uh, with everybody. disgusting. Yeah, no, it's really gross. And they've actually, the uh, AJC, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, uh, has actually looked into it before uh, and did a bit ago, a couple years ago, about, like, Team Pact and Tim Eccles and their campaigning and whether like how just very sketchy it is and it doesn't like blatantly violate anything at least not enough to like catch but they walk that line um, and in practice I think they do violate a lot of stuff uh, but they're probably activating a lot of homeschoolers on the ground in Georgia Fort Kemp is my hypothesis Okay, so if they're um, if they're campaigning for Kemp, what are they? What do what do you imagine they're talking about? What are how are they seeing Stacey and her? Well, I mean, campaign? first of all, she's a woman, and women can't be leaders. She's also black, and she's black. Yeah, 
which so there's all of that racism and i don't know how blatant they are being right now uh what was the demo what was that like were there any black kids who were in team pact with you were there any people of color besides yourself there were like one or two and jeremiah in patriot academy i'm trying to remember i i remember there was one uh um, sister so basically not really there's probably yeah i feel like we always had like a token person of color but it was like one yeah like there was there was one person who was an intern during my time with team pact uh and he was like the one black dude (laughs) gotcha um so what are they going to be talking about when they are like campaigning against stacy what are how are they I mean, they're gonna they're gonna frame her as a liberal man hating feminazi mm-hmm. internally. Uh, I don't which, know which, exactly by the way, the is like such a great are. joke because she she writes like I don't know if anybody knows this, but she's written award winning romance novels. Like no, but that's very amazing. very heterosexual. <laughs> like this woman does not hate men. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, she's a woman running against a man, so obviously she thinks she's better than men because otherwise she wouldn't be running. Well, I mean, we know that to be a fact, but right. they don't. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine that they're they're very scared of her. She's got really fantastic presence and power, and she's unflappable. And she's her parents are ministers. Like, mm-hmm. she comes from... And like, also, like, Atlanta has a huge black community. So if she can activate the black community in Atlanta and in Georgia, they have a reason to be scared because the only reason they've won so much, so long is because they have like suppressed black people from voting. Right. Which is, and her entire campaign, like when it started was based off of this, which she was like pretty much looking at the numbers and she's like, there's, there's a population here that is a majority that could run this state if they were allowed to vote. Yep. Um, and that's how she's like centered herself in terms of like campaign strategy. The other one uh, that's kind of really scary is Cruz yes. and Beto. Can, I, can we just take a second and be like, Ted Cruz had to tweet out on Halloween. Oh my God. A Zodiac killer the joke Zodiac to killer. make himself seem more relatable. Like, like a serial how? killer is In more what? relatable than your real self, Ted. You got a problem, hun. Right. Oh my god. I feel like that was probably the same intern that accidentally liked the same porn that porn tweet. Probably. So Jeremiah, you're you're from Texas originally. I'm Talk to Texas. us about Ted Cruz. <clears throat> so as you go, well, t- it's over talking. I was I was researching something uh, to make sure that it was true. And Gateway Church. For those that are listening that are not familiar with Gateway Church, Gateway Church is one of the largest megachurch in Texas, and they have at least eight to 13 campuses uh, in addition to their main one. But they had sent out this pamphlet that was basically encouraging people to vote for Cruz and talking about all these things related to Beto and it's well, I mean, it's sketchy for for a nonprofit right. organization to yeah. be campaigning. Like, but that's something that we've seen all the time growing up is pastors using the pulpit illegally as a campaign well, platform. Like, well, these are the headlines. So it's like uh, uh, they said, like, oh, Ted Cruz supports Kavanaugh. Uh, Ted Cruz uh, support, supports uh, uh, is a, opposes men and women's bathrooms. Um, 
Ted Cruz opposes, uh, is in favor of like gun laws, Second Amendment rights, rights. So it's like all of these things where it's like. Well, I mean, it's like what we were saying before is like, it's like, this is the antithesis of everything Jesus taught. What yeah. the fuck? Yeah. So, um, and I, I kind of trailed off the original question, but I started with that because I, I just, that just came to mind. But I see, so I have like a lot of friends that are, that are from, that are, that were from that uh, Patriot Academy world that I'm still friends with on Facebook. So I do see their occasional, they're still very politically active. They're still campaigning. Some of them are in, like, one, one of them is in the Georgia Senate, I think. Um, this one that I, I'm talking about specifically is in Texas, but um, their thing, like, li- their thing is basically like Ted Cruz could literally be the Zodiac killer, but because he's quote unquote pro life and pro children, uh, they will vote for him. Yeah. Wait, did the Zodiac killer kill his children? No, he didn't, so he's <laughs> okay. fine. Uh, right. So um, it only matters so, if they're unborn anyway. Yeah. Oh, right, that's right. Yeah. Um, we never really explained what Patriot Academy is. Do you mind getting into that real fast to catch us up? So Patriot Academy is actually very educational in regards to how the Texas legislation works and the Texas government works. You basically go in and you spend a week there and you're in the actual Texas Capitol and you're in the in the rooms where they're where they're putting laws together, where they're uh, they're voting on laws and then I'm trying to remember the process. It's, it's been a number of years since I've been there. But then you actually... So clearly wasn't that educational. <laughs> but it, then you actually, you actually like, if your law makes it, like, whatever the process is, if, your law, if you get to a certain point and your law hasn't been voted out, you actually present your law on the Senate floor and everyone votes on it. So it's... Oh, uh, yeah. It's actually very... It's, it's essentially a very accurate replica. So it's like, it's like a mock... A mock yeah. That's exactly yeah, what Team Pack does, too. A mock okay. legislative experience. Okay. The only thing is it's obviously very, you know, every the, the entire time they're drilling into you about how, you know, the liberals are bad. And, right. you know, Jesus was a Republican. I mean, they didn't actually say that. Obviously. No, no, there literally, <laughs> yeah, no. there literally was this phrase that one of them would say, which was, communism is bad, very, very, very bad. And... <laughs> that was like literally a fr- like that was like a, a phrase that they would all like chant every once oh my in a while. God. You know that's actually interesting. I, I it, this is a total rabbit trail, but my my father like had like one of his like stock dad jokes would be like, "That's communism." Like if he didn't like something, yeah. Like that was his like go to is like, you know, th- that person's a communist or like what? And I'm like thinking about this now, and I'm like. And what if I, what if I I'm know com- what if I'm a communist, guys? I think I think I might be. Um, <laughs> yeah, we you have a problem with everybody having equal access to things. Yeah, I can see why that would that would be offensive to you. <laughs> but like, I benefit from that system more than your system, <laughs> right? So, so I think the the I, if based on like what I've seen on Facebook posts from my still conservative friends, the. Only real reason, uh, so there's like tax stuff that people support Cruz for, but the main driving thing that they still have is that he's quote unquote pro-life. That's really the only, I feel like, from what I can tell, granted I, I haven't seen a lot of posts about Cruz, but from all the ones I've seen, it's because he's pro-life. Like that's the reason where they're like, you have to vote mm-hmm. for him. Yeah, I can imagine they'd be really threatened by, by Beto just like on all of his charisma i think the way he comes across as not so, a serial killer is so disarming that they they're like he's basically like 
the uh, the charismatic megachurch pastor. Yeah. Like, and he's he, he's using all the same tricks mm-hmm. that they would want to be using. Um, but he's for the other side. Yeah. He actually has empathy and compassion for people. Right. Right. Which are, are damning traits, really. Right. What terrifies me is the, like, voting problems Texas is having. Well, it's Georgia, the, too. Yeah, that's true. The I was thinking of the, like, voting machines insane. that keep switching oh. the votes. Yeah. 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 If you're, if you're in Texas, ask for a paper ballot. Yeah. Ask for paper. Just do it. It's better. Safer. Uh, yeah. All, all of the tech experts that I know are basically like, do not, do not use anything electronic. Always use paper because. Always use paper. It's so much safer. Well, one yeah. thing, one thing I remember going back to Patriot Academy was they had, I don't remember what the organization is, but they had this person come on and speak about quote unquote voter fraud. And their whole thing was about how basically insinuating that the Democrats were having people go in and vote multiple times. They were using names of dead people, mm-hmm. having, I remember immigrants. that. And it was all very, oh yeah, like the Democrats are, are using these nefarious means to get their candidates in. Yeah, and what's hilarious is every time there's a case of voter fraud, it's always like for a Republican. Yeah, I this is the, the problem with this is that it's it's that sociological thing that happens when you know that you've done something wrong and so when you look around the room feeling guilty, you start seeing your own like crimes in other people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you assume you assume that Projection. because you would do this, they're going to do this. And like the joke is on you. Like, they're not doing that. You're doing that. I forgot to mention one of the people I know from Patriot Academy went on to, I don't, I can't remember his name, but there was this guy in San Antonio that was like the key digital strategist for Donald Trump. And Whoa. that guy I know like actually worked on basically all of the stuff that Trump's campaign did related to Facebook advertising. The guy that I know was like directly involved with that. Yes. Ugh. So this is, this is why, this is why we're talking about these issues. Like, these feel very distant from your, you know, homeschool mom and kids and denim jumper, like, shopping at Costco. But, <laughs> but yeah. this is where her kids grow up. Yep. To, like, this is what they become. Um, because that's what the whole world is, like, grooming them for. So yeah. this is why this is so relevant. Florida, we've got our, our friend Catherine Brightbell is... Um, you know, she was the guest on on here before. She's going to be tweeting a lot about the Florida governor's race um, because she's there and she's involved. Um, and so you'll get good coverage from the perspective of our background um, on her Twitter feed. But um, what else are you seeing when you look at that? Kieran, you used to live there. I used to live there. I haven't followed the Florida race so much because I haven't lived there in ages but it's Florida, so it doesn't surprise me. I don't actually know much about what's happening besides the normal. It's important. It's it's important. And then Bill Nelson is also um, running for re-election, and he's in he's, a precarious. He's been there precarious, forever. He, right, but he's also in a precarious position, I think, um, because because this governor's race is so close. His race is also um, kind of at at risk. And I imagine there's homeschoolers campaigning for DeSantis, too. Oh, yeah. No, like, I feel like all of these races definitely have homeschoolers campaigning for them, especially 
especially the big ones. Like there's, I'm not in any of the groups or emails anymore, so I don't have access to all of the planning stuff that I used to when I was a teenager. But like, I feel confident that there is a lot of homeschoolers campaigning in all of these states, getting out the vote, because that's something that we're trained for. And that's something that I saw some discussion about on Twitter, um, where people are talking about how like the youth, the millennials don't vote and don't feel like there's an importance to voting except for all of the people who grew up conservative where that was drilled into our heads every single day every single election i mean i wanted to why did your mother give you life if you're not gonna vote right like and you're and if you're a woman then you're supposed to vote in accordance with your father or your husband and you're supposed to like vote basically as a family block right didn't Kieran? You someone at some point was talking about how they knew families having more kids with the rhetoric of it is to produce more voters. Yeah, like that's that's um, one of the things we talked about in Team Pact uh, during. I think it was it was during one of the sessions that I was there for. It was either during the girls only talk or during a joint session. I think it was a joint session, uh-huh. and. Uh, I think it was I think it was a speech by Tim Eccles and he was talking about how our generation needs to grow up, get married, be politically engaged. All the women need to have children who then grow up to vote the same way and follow in their father's footsteps. And that was how we were going to win is by having a bunch of kids and raising people who vote and campaign and do all that. And this is why you and your ex-spouse being a teen packed couple were like minor celebrities for a second when you got together because yeah. it was so excited for all of the Republican babies you were going to have. Right, that we never had. <laughs> Psych! Well, I mean, going back to... It's like you Dominion, thought so. Going back to like the whole vision form thing and Dominion theology, it's their, their, idea, their ideology literally is have a shit ton of kids so that your kids will have a shit ton of kids and those kids will have tons of kids so that eventually, like there's literally like a video that Vision Forum sort yeah. of produced where they had this little kid pointing out how like if, if you have 10 kids and each of those 10 kids have 10 kids and so on and so on and so on, you will buy... Then you have like 200 kids. By Yeah, by like the fourth generation there will be however many hundred thousand people that in their minds are voting or are believing in accordance to you. Right. right. And, and because the Bible says if you train a child up uh, in the way he should go, he won't depart from it. All of those kids are going to remain Christian conservative exactly. voters just like you want them to be. None of them are going to grow up to be queer trans witches. <laughs> oh, but in reality. <laughs> hey, guys, I'm here to guess tell what? You. I'm sorry. Proverbs lied. Yeah, unfortunately, they didn't realize that the more kids you have, the higher chance that they are that they will be queer. So, yeah, yeah, yeah there's there's some math and statistics we can run on this. And, yeah, but uh, homeschoolers are bad at math. <laughs> they, there, there is documentation of this even. <laughs> yeah. So, um, well, that's just quiverful ideology. Like, that's where it comes. That's like where it comes from in Vision Forum is a particularly yeah. political strain of it. Um, like, and they're one of the, they were one of the groups that was the most like overt and open about that yeah. being there. And agenda. there's a lot of overlap between Vision Forum, Team Pack, Generation Joshua, mm-hmm. Patriot Academy. All of these are really, really closely connected. Yeah. And overlapping. 
Um, I think another race that's important to watch is the the Rosen Heller race in Nevada for Senate. Um, Heller has historically voted um, in accordance with like Pence, Pence and his ilk's fundamentalist um, political agendas all along. And so um, Jackie Rosen running to overturn that seat as a Democrat and as a woman um, would both be like very important for, you know, numbers of women in the Senate, but also um, to eliminate someone who is like really sketchy in terms of like his voting record. And then you have a similar situation in um, Arizona where um, Kirsten Sinema is running to take the seat that McCain has left open. Um, oh, yeah. And so Kirsten Sinema is, again, you know, a liberal Democrat, pr- progressive, um, very well-educated, very smart, very well-spoken. Um, I've heard her speak on a couple occasions. And uh, and again, taking over that, that seat and, um, and trying to basically turn the majority in the Senate to blue. It's it's these are races that are significant. They're not getting as much coverage, but they are just as important. And there's mm-hmm. there's probably less um voter fraud and voter suppression and tampering in Nevada and Arizona, but there's I mean, but then you still have like all of the problems with um immigrants trying to get get access to voting yeah. and into the polls and so i'm sure that's that's part of the reality there too yeah there's still red states they're still racist yep Ugh. so these are these are the races that we're all watching um there's obviously more that are important but these are the ones that feel the most critical yeah like i know you already mentioned Roy Moore, but when that election kind of passed but i mean i literally I mean, I, I still have Facebook friends that are like directly involved. We're directly involved with that campaign. Who cares if he's a child molester? He's pro-life. Well, I mean, sure. Yeah. <laughs> he just wants them to be alive so that he can rape them later. That's fine. That's fine. That's how. That's 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 chill. He's a godly man, Hannah. It was nice to feel that vindicated when he did not get elected. Yeah, that was that was a little yeah. bit. It was a breadcrumb of hope. When all of that went down, I just remembered campaigning for him and meeting him, and he was creepy. Like, I stayed away. They told all of the girls to, like, stay away because he was weird. And Wait, so, we so they all were, did. you're basically saying that it was, like, an open secret. Yeah. Everybody knew that he was. Yeah, he was sketched. Don't, don't be alone with him. Yep. I think one thing to address that we, like, have been kind of including in all of this, but haven't really like directly talked about is the um, the white supremacy underlying all of these mo- movements and all of the like th- the homeschoolers campaigning for these super conservative people and like why that's relevant. Um, I mean, obviously, it's becoming a lot more public, and we're seeing. People being more they're not being racist. as shy about it yeah no yeah they're being open more openly racist but like this is not new no. and we mentioned this in terms of like the demographics that we observed when we were in these circles and how how rare it was to run into um people of color the whole premise for these people is basically like 
since the white European pilgrims came over on the Mayflower as ordained by God, America is ours and only for people who look like us. And if people who don't look like us come over here, they have to assimilate or they're demonized. And everything else is just sort of like run around around that. And now we have this awesome, not awesome. <laughs> In their mind, system. awesome. Yeah, which is just like... Like, they'll say they're not racist. They're like, yeah, no, if only this, like, stereotype that I have of you weren't true, then we would accept you. If only you were more like me, then we would accept you. And and that is so racist. But they're like, no, we, we care. And they're just putting different faces on it. I think there's also this this sense of, when, we, when it comes to the reconstructionist eschatology, like, mm. this sense of, like, America is God's chosen nation like new covenant we replaced like i hate i hate that this is the rhetoric but the the rhetoric is like the israelites were unfaithful and the christians are god's new people so we're going to like recreate a christian society in the united states and when we get like like a theocratic law um, in place, then Jesus will return because yep. we'll have like fulfilled those prophecies. Uh, and, yeah. and I think, and this is why we want to do this episode on the anti-Semitism of fundamentalists. Um, at some point, we're trying to get this together. But like having Pence pull out a Messianic Jew to after the the Pittsburgh shooting is incredibly insensitive because it's basically saying like, we don't need a real Jew Mm -hmm. to do this. We don't need a real rabbi um, because the Jews are irrelevant and should be erased. Like that's basically what Pence is saying by doing that. Yep. That's a dog whistle. It's an anti-Semitic racist white supremacist dog whistle. Yep. Yep. It's, uh, it's so frustrating. Well, like I know, I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right, but in that conservative, in those conservative circles, there are a lot of people that are, is it Kinnis? Kinnism? K-I-N-I? It's the thing where they believe that, uh, going back to talking about, I'm, I'm thinking of the story in the Bible when it's, um, it, it was like the, one of the sons was cursed, Cain. It's like whatever uh, that theology Oh, yeah, is. yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. It's absolutely going back to that. But like, there's people that, like, I, I can't, I don't, like yep. I said, I don't know if this is the right word, but I think it's kinis or kinism, where they literally, like, I have, I don't think I have any Facebook friends like this, but I have another friend who was commenting on how he didn't realize he had that, and he's very liberal, like, very queer, very liberal, and he came from that Patriot Academy world, and he's, he was like, I didn't realize I had so many friends in my circles that literally believe that this, this line of people has been cursed by God. Well, it's the it comes goes back to um, like the whole story of Noah getting drunk after the flood. Yeah, and mm-hmm. he had his two of his sons covered him up because he was like running around naked, and they were, like put him to bed and like covered him up, and his other son laughed. And like the idea is that like the sons of Ham are cursed because they he mocked his father, he disrespected his father, so therefore like he's cursed forever, right. and his descendants are cursed forever. And the assumption is like anyone brown is coming from that son. And it's mm-hmm. this like this mythology of white supremacy that's read into these Bible stories to like reinforce the prejudice that are already in place yeah. in these systems. Um, it's horrifying, it, but it also like goes 
and reinforces like the paternalism yeah. of the white supremacy. Like, uh, it just it's it's it bothered my mom to no end that all of the pictures of Jesus were fair skinned and blue eyed because Jesus is from the Middle East, so he would have looked like me, mm-hmm. which would have been olive skin, dark brown eyes, dark hair, and that always, always, always angered my mom and my family. And it was like, but they never went further than that. They never tried to examine why why that was so or like they didn't examine the white supremacy behind that or the racism behind like the image of jesus as an anglo-european dude when like he was born in the middle east so obviously that's not what he would look like malibu jesus it's systemically entrenched in all these systems and i think like the whole like burn it all down impulse is maybe the only way to fix this stuff because these systems right. cannot exist without the white supremacy and racism that's um, no that's crucial to their in. existence yeah like that's that's all that it's built on is maintaining that and perpetuating it and growing it all right um i want to take a quick break and then let's talk about um how people can interact with like the homeschool kids who are campaigning um for these Republicans or these conservative teenagers who are sold on the, these ideas, like how can you, how can you help them um, broaden their horizons, and how can you try to like counter some of their arguments? Welcome back. Welcome back. So how do we how do we talk to people? What would have helped us um, if somebody wanted to like help us deconvert from racist conservative fundamentalist theology and p- policy back when we were in the game? I think the the first thing to do is realize that you're not going to deconvert someone in one conversation, but you can like plant that seed of like doubt and questioning and something different. So don't don't try to approach it from a I'm going to witness to you about why you're wrong on this politics thing. Um right. cuz that won't get you anywhere. But uh like when I was one of one of the things that I remember the most uh about campaigning when I was a teenager was this one time uh while it was while I was campaigning for Roy Moore and we were going going door to door and we we knock on this one dude's door and he's this burly dude and has multiple barky dogs mm. and and we knock on his door and we're like hey we're here campaigning for Roy Moore uh and he just loses his shit and starts yelling at us oh. and then chases us up the hill with his dogs and we're three teenage girls wearing long skirts <laughs> Shit. And and so he's just like yelling at us about like how awful we are for campaigning with like these dogs barking in the background and it was terrifying. So what you're saying is don't be abusive and intimidating? Yes, don't do that. Like they 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 don't need that. They probably already get it at home. Don't replicate it don't duplicate it don't don't add that to their life they're already scared they're kids keep in mind if you see a teenager at your door campaigning they are a teenager campaigning so treat them as such yeah i think one of the things that was always the wedge for me between me 
between me and Republican politics was the issue of immigration and how refugees were treated. Um, Growing up in the Central Valley of California, I was around migrant workers and migrant worker communities all the time. Um, And so I grew up interacting with people who um, had fled to America to find a better life, to find a better job, to avoid (laughs) genocide or war or something. Um, And so I was already aware of the human rights issues at stake in these questions. And so whenever Mm. immigration came up, I like hardcore deviated from all my peers every single time. And being in Virginia after that was really weird because I was running into all of this overt racism against immigrants, especially right around 9-11 because, mm. um, yep. you know, we moved to Virginia in 2000, so 2001 and 9-11 happened and it was like everybody was anti-immigrant and I was sitting there being like, but you don't understand what their lives are like. <laughs> you don't know these people. You don't know mm. what they're fleeing. They're not terrorists. You're idiots. And so I was already hardcore on that train um, because these people were people to me. They weren't others. So when you can de-other the conversation, I think that has a lot of power when you make it personal, when you make it like right before we started recording, Karen was saying like, talk to them about like, I had this abortion for these reasons. Like make it your story. Go into your story. Yeah, get into your story and make it personal, make it so that they cannot other you. It's so much harder, or like at least it was for me, to be able to stand by uh like conservative views of of queer people after I knew queer people mm. and after after my friends came out and I realized, Oh, wait, I know this person, they're not evil. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly it was like, Oh, well, that starts you thinking about things when you re- when you when you can humanize the idea that you've been taught to hate yeah. and and you realize that what you've been taught to hate doesn't line up to the reality. Yeah, I I think for me, like I, I have a friend of mine and he taught he, he grew up uh, in Portland, but uh, was like very conservative, and he talked about this was like I guess the first time Obama was elected and how he was a huge fan of the artist Moby. And Moby was very supportive and very vocal of Obama. And for my friend, he was like, man, I can't believe that this person that I really like is supporting this candidate that I think is wrong. But that was kind of a, like, that was sort of like the first crack in like, in that armor and like sort of this realization of like removing that othering in this. So I think, I think for me, like just looking back, realizing, hearing other people's stories and realizing that I, not everyone has the same has has the same privilege. Not everyone has the same advantages, and a lot of my conservative right wing Republican views benefited people that had certain status or were of a certain uh, fit a certain uh, mold or look. And mm-hmm. I think I think probably the biggest thing for me that start, that started moving me away from the right was mainly with healthcare, realizing that if you like, I have so many friends that have had cancer or had needed things that cost upwards of 90, 100, 200, 300,000 dollars. And uh, I think that was the first one just realizing that like th- there's so many people that do not have the same healthy, able body as I do. And mm-hmm. 
and here we are, like, th- like the whole thing with healthcare was such a, a huge cornerstone of like the, the white Republican platform. And it's like, my God, like there's so like, there's so many people in America that do not have, they can't afford healthcare. And you're, and, and that for me, that was like a really big part. And then also I think with immigration, I, for me, that was never really, I growing up in Texas, there are a lot of migrant workers. And like, I, it's like, I, I, rem- I remember back then kind of joking about how, the rhetoric was they're going to take our job and it's like you see them working outside in heat and it's like no no white person wants that job I mean, there, there's a there's a farm worker shortage in central california right now yeah and white people are not lining up for yeah. those jobs so <laughs> nope. what the hell no nope. so I, I think immigration was never i don't think that was ever anything i was super uh with in regards to the right but i think like like healthcare and um gun guns were like another thing just I mean, I, I grew up owning guns, my di- my family owned guns, I hunted a lot, I had so many memories from them that were really good at like going out with my dad and hunting and bonding with him. But it's growing up, it's like I could literally am a degree or two away from, uh, I want to say it's now nine mass shootings that have happened since Columbine, and Columbine is one of them. So either I know someone that was at the shooting or know someone that was like actually shot at the shooting like i'm two degrees away from that i know two or three people that wow. were at las vegas uh, i know like i said i know one guy that uh was actually at columbine uh he was going to the school when that shooting happened um the the uh the uh the nightclub shooting that happened in florida i know two Temples. people that were a week yeah two two people that were like a block away from that so there's like so many shootings that have happened and this is that realization of wow like you know, this this is starting to become something this is starting to become a problem this isn't just like oh like one random shooting happens like this is a, a reoccurring thing so i think you can, like, you can yeah. feel the violence close yeah so and, and me realizing that like all these things that i had advocated for uh they they actually like impacted other people but also like some of them i was like wow these are like like in regards to gun violence a lot of republicans republicans will try to minimize that but it's like no this is actually like a really this is like a really big deal a really big problem so i think um i guess to summarize it i would say sharing like y'all sort of already said like just sharing story and i think that's the way way i am now i'm i, I think for me because i still have a lot of conservative facebook friends and i am constantly sharing when i see an article i i that's i like i never purposely really try to create arguments also on enneagram nine so i avoid arguments but for me it's like i i try to use like since i still have those people that have not unfriended me yet i try to use that as a way to share stories of other people that have lived different lives and other experiences than what my right-wing conservative evangelical republican friends have for me it was like a a process of multiple years so there is never one thing that kind of like you're not like you said you're never going to argue someone into a different side but just starting to make like little inroads, little fissures yeah. into that mm-hmm. foundation by personalizing it and like yeah. making the other real. Yeah. Just um, something that like questions or contradicts the narrative they've been told. Yeah. Like it doesn't have to be significant, but just a little something that is like, wait, that doesn't fit. Yeah. Like the, like the rhetoric that people that are on, you know, food stamps are just lazy and don't take care of themselves. Like, no, like they, that's stories like that. It go a really long ways, yeah. and yeah, stories that yeah. counteract that and that mentality go a long ways, and 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 bringing humanity and to the to the other side. Yeah, like talk to literally anyone on food stamps, and they will tell you how much work it is. Yeah, to be or like, um, uh, what's the one yeah. like unemployment? Like, I had a friend of mine; she lost her job, and it was 
it was basically a full time job for her to stay on unemployment between yeah, jobs. Yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. Yep, it's ridiculous. This isn't something the government's throwing money out. <laughs> so let's um let's wrap this up here. Um, we run out of time. Jeremiah, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Where can, where can people find you? Oh boy, I am on the internet on Twitter at Jeremiah JW. That's where I, I talk the most, so <laughs> that's mm-hmm. probably the best place to find me. For our regular listeners, if you want to support our work and what we're doing here and um, help fund our coffee habits, you can join our Patreon, which is Kitchen Table Cult Pod. Um, sign up, and you'll get some, some perks of... Uh, early access to material, some after dark slash um, inebriated um, episodes or hangouts with us. You can follow us at Kitchen Cult Pod. On the Twitter. Yeah, on Twitter. I'm at H.A. Ettinger on Twitter. And I'm at MX Darkwater. Um, Our music is by the heavens. And shout out to Aaron for putting this together. And all of the gaps that need to be edited out. <laughs> Thanks, Aaron. Karen, if people want to send you coffee money directly, where do they send it to? I have Square Cash, so cash.me slash dollar sign Kieran, K I E R Y N. All right. And then mine is the same as my Twitter handle, but on Venmo, H A Ettinger. Um, thank you for joining us. We'll put up some um, links to some of the things we've mentioned here. Um, go and Donate to some of these campaigns if you can. Um, You can also sign up to text and call for any of these campaigns, even if you don't live in the states where they're happening. Um, They would be glad to have any extra um, people joining them over the weekend before Election Day. Yeah, we're recording this the weekend of election, so it is get-out-the-vote time. And so if this goes up before the election... Or if you listen to it before the election, go volunteer on a campaign. They need you right now. Uh, if you're listening to this after the election uh, and good people won, congratulate them. Uh, if bad people won, start calling their office and like haranguing them. Yes. <laughs> Do that. All right. Thank you for joining us this week. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.